Welcome to the Madness Continues Podcast. I have been up since 4 a.m. <laughs> I'm recording this at 6 p.m. You everybody, sorry the episode did not go out on Monday. I was traveling, had to do the James Altucher show. We recorded two podcasts back to back. It was pretty good. Really excited about that. Uh, please go take a listen to the James Altucher show. If you don't already, why not, dude? He interviews he he interviews everybody. I I kind of aspire to be like him a little bit. He order he interviews. Uh, I almost said orders orders. That'd be, that'd be weird. He orders them on Amazon. Billionaires, comedians. He's had on billionaires, comedians, psychologists, entrepreneurs, uh, actors, musicians. He's had all kinds of people on. Most of the kinds of people I like to talk to. I love that guy. We had a blast. I talked about why you should only work four days a week. I also talked to... He challenged me. I'm writing a book in 30 days. I got another one coming out. It's called The Stoic Salesman. Lessons from uh, thousands of years ago to make you the best salesman in the 21st century. That's it. Lessons from the first century to the 21st. That's the tagline of the book. He challenged me to write it in 30 days. I've already got it outlined. Uh, if you guys have any interest in that book, please stay tuned. It's going to come out and probably before the end of February, and I'll push it on here. Uh, your support, as always, would be greatly appreciated. Um, that book, I think, is actually going to be pretty cool. I've been noodling on it for a while, and he finally was like, Brendan, you should just do it. I don't understand why I don't do it. Uh, that was not a very good impression. It sounded like Humphrey Bogart instead of James Altucher. Anyway, uh, guys, today I'm talking with uh, a very interesting man, Ian Olasov. He is just this weekend uh, on the 1st doing Ask a Philosopher, where he sets up benches around New York City, and people walk up to him and ask a philosopher questions. Basically, we talk about what that means and what it equals in the show, but pretty much it's exactly what it sounds like. It, I think it's a fascinating idea because historically, you used to, people used to go to philosophers. They would go to Stoics or Peripatetics or Epicureans or any other of the old schools, especially in the East, Confucians, Taoists, uh, all kinds of different people to answer life's questions. And now we basically just go to churches or psychologists and that's odd because that's not maybe maybe there's a, a something missing there like sometimes it could be the question the way you're thinking about it how we we reflect on this anyway we meditate on it I've had some coffee and I've been up for a long time so if this is coming this is coming straight out of my dome and right into your ears uh, as always I appreciate that you're here with me um, we've got the Power Bible releasing soon. That will be in the show notes. We talk about that on James's podcast a little bit. He he really likes it. He loves the book. I've gotten some other very good reviews of the book. Uh, it's, of course, co-written by William Petit, my non-romantic life partner. That's ironic, by the way, that statement. He, uh, he and I wrote about overcoming uh, him, overcoming drug addiction, me overcoming uh, homelessness, and lessons we learned along the way. Uh, a lot of the feedback we've gotten is that it's a great book. They really like it. The It's very dense, but it's a lot of lessons, a lot of really cool things you can apply in your life today. Uh, so that's I'm excited about it. Please check it out. I would love to hear what you think. And uh, and that will be released soon. The early release list slash the whatever the release list I'm calling it now is uh, on the show notes. Click through it, add your email, and you will be informed as soon as it is out. So Anyway, this is almost five minutes long, uh, this intro, so I'm not going to take up any more of your time. Please just go ahead and listen to me taking up more of your time talking with Ian uh, uh, Olasov after this. 
Uh, by the way, he is a professor at the City uh, University of New York in Brooklyn. Really fun and an interesting guy. He talks a lot about uh, what he has going on in the world of philosophy in this podcast. And it's fascinating stuff. Night talks, night of philosophy, speaker series. I mean, this guy is just up to his gills in thought. So without further ado, take it easy, everybody. Thanks for listening. really late so it starts on monday oh got it wow that is late it's like yeah. way into when does it end it must end in like may uh yeah end of may yeah i think i i forget when grades are due but sometime around the beginning of june oh my gosh man uh, yeah that's a yeah. whole bunch uh dude so have you so i don't know if you listened to the podcast at all or or checked it out but i can um kind of talk about it for a second so you sort of know what you're what what we're about to get into yeah sure i listened to a little bit of one episode honestly but i I didn't listen to a ton of it yeah what which one just out of curiosity oh um it was uh it was an interview with some comedian um you were talking about a show that you'd seen recently in Chicago that you really liked, uh, but I, I honestly I can't remember the details. I, I listened to it for a few minutes. Like, oh, was it with Ronnie Marmo? The uh, was it the a couple weeks ago? It might have been the um, uh, Lenny Bruce one. That sounds right. Okay, I think it. so. Yeah, that was a good show. He's an interesting guy, and uh, yeah, that's a uh, anyway. That's I'm I'm glad you listened to one of them. Um, I, I don't ever blame anybody for not listening to it. <laughs> uh, not because I don't think it's good. I just, you know, it's a fuck me. We have so much stuff in the world and, you know, I, uh, I just always feel like I don't, I can't imagine anybody has time for like everything, let alone a niche podcast about comedy yeah. and philosophy. Yeah. My, uh, my partner, uh, listens to podcasts on double speed to, uh, to cram a little bit more into her media diet, but I can't, uh, I don't have the wherewithal. Can't do it myself. You know, what's crazy about that, uh, is that if you, apparently blind people can listen to podcasts mm. and audiobooks at up to five to six X speed and still retain comprehension. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I feel like I'd heard something about that not too long ago. Yeah. It's some, uh, uh, yeah, that, uh, right. I, it must've been on some podcast actually, <laughs> but it was like, um, uh, yeah, just played some clip of, of human speech sped up to an extent that was just completely unintelligible, but, I feel like uh, it but apparently been this American to, life. to some blind people, you can, yeah. They can make sense of it, which is which is great. <laughs> That's wild, man. So yeah, so the the pod. So as you know, then the madness continues is kind of my attempt as a comedian and uh, you know philosopher. My undergrad is in philosophy mm -hmm. um, to you know try to capture some understanding of. I mean, ostensibly the point of the podcast is talking about present shock, but mm -hmm. it it kind of isn't really. Um, I mean, it's a very loose theme, um, but I've talked with a whole lot of different types of people from kind of all over and more or less just about what they're interested in and what they're trying to do and all this kind of thing. So, mm -hmm. um, I should let you know, by the way, I'm already recording. I'll just cut a lot of this out when we go to go to print on this thing, but, um, yeah, totally. That's fine. Yeah. But like, obviously, I mean, what piqued my interest was I, so one of my first, one of my early guests who was a really good dude is John Marmish. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him at all, but no. he, um, 
he is a nihilist. He's also a philosopher of humor. He wrote a great book that caught my attention when I saw it called uh, Laughing at Nothing, which is uh, humor as a response to nihilism. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, this is great. And it, it is a good book. He, 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 he was very interesting to, to read. And I just decided to email him um, probably this is like two years and some change ago and he got back and he was like sure yeah i'll do your podcast and that was like one of my first episodes where i actually had a guest so mm-hmm. so that's kind of been founded on you know philo- some kind of philosophy from the beginning and uh-huh. one, of, one of the things i guess that i've been interested with in terms of comedy is thinking about what can comedy kind of do in the world but then like what can you know what can philosophy or thought or any kind of thing do in the world and obviously i what came to my attention was the article that you were in where you're like, you can ask a philosopher anything. <laughs> I was like, uh-huh. this is nuts. Like, And so immediately it was basically like, shit, dude, I got to reach out to the guys who did this and talk about how this came together. I forwarded it over to uh, John, and John was like, dude, the APA is like doing some interesting stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, a, few, a few years ago, I don't think this would have been uh, uh, up the APA's alley, but... Uh, in the last, yeah, I don't know, maybe five or ten years, they've expressed an interest in supporting public philosophy, and and uh, you know, I'm there for it. It's a yeah, good thing. that's great. I mean, how did you get involved? Let me just ask you, how did you get involved, sort of, with that, with just that movement? So I, a few years ago, was not teaching a uh, like undergrads for the first time in a little while, and I wanted some kind of institutional or like formal connection to the philosophy world. Yeah. And I'd had an idea about starting a speaker series for a little while. And so I pitched it to the Brooklyn Public Library and uh, the timing was sort of right. They had opened up a new space in their central branch, which they were looking to program. And uh, so they were just, they were, they were very down. It was just like, Oh yeah, you want to do a speaker series? Perfect. Like here's here's the dates, here's the space. Go for it. That's super cool. And, and um and then after doing the speaker series for a couple of years, um I went to a talk uh, at uh, this philosophy conference at the Eastern Division meeting of the APA, which gave me the idea for the Ask Philosopher booth. And then we did that, and we've participated in the Night of Philosophy and. Uh, we had podcasts for a little bit, but it's now on indefinite hiatus. And so we've just done a bunch of, uh, you did like a screening series. We've done a bunch of little things. Uh, but the main, the main two things have been this, uh, I'll say the main three things have been the, uh, uh, the speaker series, the ask philosopher booth and the, uh, uh, night of philosophy. So what, okay. So let's talk about these individually and we'll, and, and we'll, if you don't mind talking about, the speaker, maybe the speaker series first, then the night of philosophy, and then we can kind of reserve the ask a philosopher booth till the end. Um, I, mm-hmm. I'm just interested to learn about all of these. So sorry to put a ton of work on you. <laughs> <laughs> no, totally. Just to be like, tell me about your shit. But yeah, I mean, this is just all very fascinating to me because I think that probably the normal person is not a is, is probably not aware of the fact that there's so much intellectual, f- publicly philosophical programming that that is go- is going on. Um, so it'd be interesting to hear about all of these things. Yeah. So I think, you know, while philosophers probably correctly, uh, like have a reputation for, you know, kind of being off in the ivory tower and, uh, disconnected from the world in one way or another, Yeah, uh, there's like, uh, there's like a lot of good 
philosophy, both written for a general audience and like um, events and sort of collaborations between philosophers and different like, community groups and activist groups. So there's there's good public philosophy out there uh, if you look for it. But, uh, you know, it's that it's <laughs> we, we're competing for the attention of people with, yeah. you know, other flashier stuff. Yeah, so with it's Netflix hard to, it's hard to find. And Netflix and Michael Bay movies and <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Pornhub. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The yeah, the our number one competitor is Pornhub. It's uh it's a it's a really fucking uphill battle. Um um but like uh you know, so, so so as far as stuff written for a general audience, I mean the Times has its uh philosophy column or blog called the stone mm. uh the guardian publishes philosophy regularly there's an online magazine called aeon and there are actually a bunch of really good um philosophy podcasts for a general audience my favorite of which is um called hi-fi nation Phi phi which is sort of like a radio lab type thing it's sort of it it's it's storytelling but then uh sort of mixes the philosophy in and uh like in an artful and engaging way so yeah there's so there's a lot of good stuff out there Mm. um and you know brooklyn and new york city is kind of an embarrassment of riches because we've got oh yeah well we've got like i mean there's you know there's there's a lot of stuff to do in brooklyn but there's um uh among other things there are a lot of professional philosophers who like live in new york city because oh yeah i mean nyu is i think the number one school for philosophy on the planet i think i think it's number two is uh yeah rutgers and princeton and columbia are are all just sort of very very you know respected departments for their research there's a lot of good people you know at the uh cuny grad center where i'm you know finishing up a phd uh and you know cuny itself has something like 250,000 students. I mean, it's an enormous institution and there are philosophy departments at every CUNY college. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, so there's a lot of philosophers here. Uh, and so, and, and, and at least a significant percentage of them are interested in talking with, you know, the rest of the world rather than one another. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I think, what is the joke Bertrand Russell said of a philosopher would wear a lab coat to work if he could get away with it? I think that I think about that all the time where I'm like, there's just, there's a real, like you were saying, ivory tower that sometimes there's a real, um, stuffiness to a whole lot of like, what is all of this, you know, just conversation, where does the, where does the rubber meet the road in the world to a lot of this? And I think that for, for me, I, you know, I've done stand up comedy for almost 20 years now. I started when I was 16. Uh, I always feel like I have to apologize for not being famous for some reason, but (laughs) I've done it for a long time, and I think that my, I always thought this is where I mean the the way that uh, Bert Haas, who's one of the uh, managers of Zanies, which is a I think like one of the top three classic comedy clubs in the U.S., um, says it is he's like this is the business of entertainment, but sometimes that entertainment becomes art, and I think when it does become art, the Venn diagram of of stand up comedy leans over and into the Venn diagram of philosophy. And I feel like that's where a lot of rubber meets the road, at least from my perspective and where I've taken it. But it's very interesting for me to see that there's 
philosophers and and you know public intellectuals who want to do things in the world with thought and i i find that extremely interesting so um you know obviously you were so if you pitched the if you pitched uh, the brooklyn library about uh, a speaker series so and you've been doing it for a couple of years sort of what was the what was the impetus behind that and kind of what were you looking to explore with it um Selfishly, it was that I wanted some kind of space where, like, I could, uh, you know, <laughs> go to philosophy talks and do philosophy in a meaningful way mm-hmm. uh, with people outside of the classroom. Um, I think there was a an article I read in Inside Higher Ed, um, the name of which is escaping me now, but it was about sort of the what's called the crisis in the humanities that like, you know, it's hard to justify the continued existence of philosophy departments and English departments and history departments and so on to university administrators and to uh, investors. So, you know, one way this article sort of proposed that one way to do that is one way to show how the humanities are valuable is to like, actually go out there and talk with people and yeah uh, (laughs) what what an amazing idea yeah yeah right 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 well it says something about academia that that that's like hmm that that shit took about like 50 years for somebody to come up with that one but like um uh but that that was like oh yeah i you know i could i could do that i could make that happen um and there was there was an appetite for it i mean there's people people are interested in philosophy they often regard their philosophical questions as sort of like personal private problems which they just sort of have to you know work out for themselves when they can't sleep at night or something mm. um but there's uh there there are other people <laughs> worried about these things yeah who've thought about but, them for millennia maybe yeah exactly exactly and and uh you know there's no reason for for philosophy to be a lonely enterprise. And so, you know, uh, I think if you give people a space, it could be a speaker series, it could be something like the Ask Philosopher booth, it could be uh, a discussion group where they get to, you know, hear what other people are thinking about philosophy, they get to put their own ideas out there, they get to put their own questions out there, you know, they're hungry for it. And, uh and so, you know, it's just it's really gratifying to be able to do that kind of work. It's also like very in- instantly or immediately gratifying in the sense that, like, especially at the Ask Philosopher booth, if you're just like talking with somebody who's right in front of you, yeah. that is uh, <laughs> that's like you you get <laughs> you get, well, yeah, you get like an actual human connection, but you also get something out of the conversation immediately. You don't like spend yeah you're not you're not publishing yep writing a paper that then is going to peer review and yeah yeah right and And it may or may not be published and then is likely to be read by four people um you know so there's so there's you know that's nice let me put it that way that's nice yeah you're actually engaging i mean it's the same reason i like doing stand-up is that you get instant feedback from the people who are in front of you who you're talking with um absolutely absolutely i I think it's fascinating i wrote a thesis uh for my undergrad and i'm pretty sure zero people read it i'm pretty sure my (laughs) my faculty advisor didn't even Uh read it (laughs) 
<laughs> yep, yep, that happens. That happens. I think I remember meeting with her, and she was like, "Yeah, the way you describe, uh, you know, nihilism, it just was great. You nailed it." And I was like, "I don't even think I talked about nihilism in this paper." <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, no offense, Kate Mahiran, I'm sure you read it, um, <laughs> but it's just there's something very yeah, like you were like, it's not such a lonely occupation, but it's kind of weird because I guess I have two thoughts that come to mind. The first is that we're living through this kind of bizarre renaissance of all kinds of really fundamental philosophical conversations that Mm -hmm. in Western thought had, I think we have thought that they had been handled, at least academically, you know, people in wearing white lab coats, as Bertrand Russell would say, no longer would have these conversations. But because normal lay people have not really had a philosophical education now all of this is taking place on YouTube in like communities where nobody is has ever been asked a handful of different questions before. And guys like love them or hate them, um, guys like Jordan Peterson have become popular because they raise a whole bunch of different questions mm-hmm. that I think that we had thought that we had settled. But there are people who have never been asked that or never thought about it before. And it doesn't surprise me that some of the most popular channels that are really taking off on YouTube are things like Philosophy Tube or contrapoints or mm-hmm. you know any of these kinds of like youtube essayists who dive deep into different questions and examine them um from a you know variety of angles i feel like normal people don't have the bandwidth or nor the education so therefore not the tools to examine critically any of these questions that occur in their own lives and instead what they're left with are uh, i think what i would say is the philosophical equivalent of finger painting which is presented to them from HBO and Netflix and Amazon Prime and other like series that, you know, things that are produced, which are maybe artistic, but not exactly equipped to handle answering those questions. And so it's kind of weird, I guess, Ian, a little bit, because I can, I'm not surprised when I hear about people being like flat earth or, um, you know, fundamentalist religion or any of these things. Cause I'm like, dude, people just want answers to questions and, and, mm-hmm. and they're going to run to whatever feels like it's an answer when there's no good answers around. And especially when we don't have, they don't have the tools to answer those questions themselves, you know? Yeah, I think that's right. I think that there's, you know, there's been a role that philosophy and the philosophical tradition or the different philosophical traditions could play in public life forever. I mean, there's always been a role for philosophy in public life. But I think that uh, we're at, you know, in the Western world in 2020, we're in a place where some philosophical questions and some sort of tools and techniques from uh, uh, from the history of philosophy and from the work that philosophers are doing right now are sort of especially urgent. So I think uh, questions that I think that people feel uh, alienated and lonely were were some of the time or our bodies just sort of aren't built to Mm -hmm. live in uh, the modern world. We're small group primates. We're we're supposed to be hanging out with the 20 or 30 people we know over the course of our entire fucking lives. We should not pass Dunbar's number. There should be, (laughs) we should have 110 people that we ever meet ever. And instead we're living in this complete, I mean, you, I mean, especially in New York, it's, it's, it's completely unnatural. Uh 
It's so I we, I was just talking with a friend of mine about this not long ago. Is that dating in New York is like the most bizarre, unnatural, unhuman process that there ever was because nobody was supposed to have this many people around them ever. Uh huh. And, and it's like, and, and here we are having to deal with that, and, and it feels like there's no attempt to try to give people the tools to even navigate that environment. You're just like, yeah, you're in it. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and I, you know, I think that there is some, there's some role for, there's some role for, you know, this isn't entirely a philosophical problem. This is a, you know, a thera- a therapeutic problem or a problem uh, in just sort of how our basic institutions are arranged. But um, I think that when people are looking for sort of meaningful or intimate connections with other people, I think philosophy can be the basis for that because I think, you know, talking philosophy with another person is like an, is like an intimate endeavor. Um, I think um, there's also, you know, there's some other ways in which I think philosophy is sort of especially pressing, you know, we've got uh, the, the, this sort of in the last few years, these resurgent uh, far right movements around the world and uh, growing uh, uh, like genuine left alternative to uh, the mainstream views of the Democratic Party from the last 40 or 50 years, there are sort of political options on the table. There are sort of questions about how to fundamentally organize society that are somehow uh, live in a way that they weren't, you know, in the 90s when people were, you know, with a straight face talking about the end of history. <laughs> yeah, and so, Fra- and Francis so, Fukuyama. Uh-huh. And so, which is, which is, which is, you know, uh, which is like, uh, literally a joke now, but, but, uh, but at the time felt like, oh yeah, no, we've, we've, we've figured it out. We figured out how does, how the basic, uh, you know, ar- how institutions of the world are going to be arranged, but like there seem to be options on the table now, which, which weren't there. So we sort of have to, have to figure out as a society, uh, as a world, how, how we want to live. And, you know, that's a philosophical problem. You know, what's the right uh, form of government, or at least what's the right form of society for for us? What's how should we structure our economy? How should we structure our basic institutions? And there's like, and I think you know the the press in particular, or sort of our knowledge creating and knowledge sharing institutions in particular, are sort of at a at a crisis point right now. Where it's sort of you know people talk about uh, bubbles and filters and echo chambers. Uh, because there's some there's some sense that there's somehow our institutions for sh- for creating and sharing knowledge are are dysfunctional or broken, and you know mm-hmm. that's a philosophical that's mm-hmm. a philosophical problem. What 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 does it mean for them to be dysfunctional? What 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 values do we want them to have? Uh, what, what you know how how could they be optimized in one way or another? Yeah. So what what is know. their yeah what is their intended purpose? What do they need for them to do? What kind of space do they occupy? Yeah, what do we, absolutely. It's, it's really weird because I think that it's it's good for it's good. It was good to see that there's a movement to try and and I mean, this is, I guess, why I wanted to talk to you is because I think that, you know, one of the I became more aware. Sorry to just back up for a second, but I'll get back yeah. to this point is like I became more aware of the value. I mean, not only was it valuable for me to have a philosophical education uh, in, you know, in the university and in the academy, but then leaving and going into the world, it was very strange because 
the conversations you have with people in the workplace as a someone who has had a, a background in philosophy almost feel strange because they're mm-hmm. they they will leap past movements and thought that I feel like are the like the background decisions have already been made in a mm-hmm. way that somebody like who has had a philosophical education would I think stop and pause and go okay here are the inbuilt assumptions and everything you just said mm. and how can we like tease those out um that's going on in the world in general and what I think is fascinating about it is I became aware of sort of the public um you know a use for a f- for philosophy in the public space when I read about uh, these prison programs that uh, were Mm -hmm. teaching philosophy and critical thinking skills to prisoners. And they're like the results from them have been like fantastic in the sense that prisoners take what is basically a critical thinking 100 class, um, but kind of a broad critical thinking 100 class that goes on for something like six weeks. Mm -hmm. And they ask a whole bunch of different questions and, and, and examine different questions in their lives from a handful of different angles um, learn some critical thinking skills. The uh, the levels of like violence and the levels of of, um, of of just trouble in general that come out of prison populations, even if only a small section of the prison population receives the the critical thinking, like drop. Like every the life life gets better for everybody when somebody you know when even a a, a handful of the people in the general population have. Um, the ability to think critically and abstractly and you know and and that's delivered from philosophy i guess yeah to get back to like kind of the main point where you're talking about like you know the the you know the 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 role of let's say journalism and and how it exists sort of in our community um i think that it it feels very strange to me because it feels like we've you know just speaking of francis fukuyama and the end of history like we've allowed the marketplace to take over a humongous amount of our lives mm-hmm. in a way that has never really ideologically been examined that there's a a huge amount of the population that just assumes on its face that market solutions are the best solutions but one of the problems that presents is like what value does philosophy or doing philosophy have well it doesn't really have any it doesn't provide any <laughs> material monetary value to any process almost anywhere. I mean, unless you're writing a book, but even then, you know, you could argue that a handful of different, either you're super duper writing for a niche audience that's interested in this kind of stuff, or the act of writing a book is uh, arguably potentially appealing to prurient interests of people um, to be satisfied. I mean, I, I don't want to mm-hmm. dive into that any further, but the point mm-hmm. I guess I'm making is that like, no major company is going to hire a chief CPO, a chief philosophical officer (laughs) who's going to be paid massive amounts of money to basically ask questions about things like that. That's, that's nowhere in the marketplace. Is there a really good sample for this? And I evidence for the fact that the marketplace hates this, that they fucking killed Socrates. So, (laughs) Uh well, yeah, you, yeah, that's, I, I think you're, I think you're right that there's like, uh, a, historical and an ongoing ah. intact oh, god damn it right? <laughs> yeah i'm good i just poured coffee all over everything in my whole office uh, oh fuck <laughs> We're uh, good, man. Keep it going. yeah i think you're i think you're right that there is uh historical antagonism between uh the way of life that comes out of uh 
you know, mark, market interactions between people and the way of life that comes from uh, engaging with people philosophically. But but I will I will point out there there are a bunch of there are a bunch of companies that do have um, and institutions or organizations that do have kind of in-house philosophers. So uh, there's who, who are they? Because I want to apply to uh, that. Yeah, there's good work out there. Uh, uh, Google has uh, has some philosophy people on its. So if people doing uh, like AI ethics and uh, and uh, sort of research priorities type work uh, uh, and end up in uh, technology companies, uh, people doing in the not-for-profit world, there's there's a lot of room for philosophy. I have a colleague at uh, Brooklyn College who is, I don't know if he's the head or he's the founder of the Participatory Budgeting Project, which is a sort of participatory, well, which promotes participatory budgeting. Um, <laughs> what, is uh, par- what is participatory budgeting? Oh, it's like when you have like, uh, when you, when you have, uh, when a city sets aside a city or a state or a country, whatever, sets aside some amount of money from its budget and gives it to a neighborhood or a community group uh, to decide how that money is going to be spent democratically. That's, Mm. that's, that's the, that's the, the rough version of it. Um, So there's, it's a way of, it's a way of democratizing small, but increasing parts of the economy. Mm. So uh, and it's this deliberative thing where people have to kind of reason with each other about how the money is going to be used. And you need to figure out how to structure the spaces where people deliberate with each other. And so there's, you know, that's so that's philosophy. You know? mm. um, um, uh, I had a guy give a talk at the speaker series a little while back who's a kind of in-house philosopher at NASA uh, doing work on research priorities and on the philosophy of engineering, which is relevant to how engineering projects get funded. There's a guy named Todd Altshuler who has this thing called the Philosophical Investigation Agency, which does like, he's not in-house, but he does like freelance work for, so like, I mean, like- That sounds awesome. That sounds a lot like, uh, what is I Heart Huckabees, the existential detectives? Yeah, it's exactly that. It's exactly (laughs) that. It's, uh, he does a bunch of different types of things. I don't know him personally. I just read about his work. But um, uh, one of the things that he'll do at, like organizations will have these, you know, value statements or these mission statements. Some sometimes oh, it's, Jesus. Yeah. Sometimes sometimes it's just horseshit. But sometimes they actually, you know, want to use these values to guide their decisions and to communicate internally. But the values are sort of messy. It's not clear what they mean. It's not clear how you would figure out oh what they mean. Oh my god, dude! Yeah. And so welcome to every like every every company I've ever every corporation uh-huh. I've ever worked for is like yeah. Here we value people. We're a we're an organization that embraces innovation. You're like, what the fuck does that yeah, mean? Yeah, just, what the fuck are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, like right? there's just a bunch of marketing people who have never taken a goddamn semantics class in their whole life. <laughs> and they're just like all all writing down words that feel nice to read to other people. Uh-huh. Like uh-huh. It just oh my god, dude. And 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 so and and I think usually it's just it's it's just like word salad or it's just stuff that's coming out of people's mouths or that yeah. you put on company stationery, but it doesn't actually make a material difference to how things are run. But sometimes, you know, it's, people actually want to clarify what these values are and there's, and there's room for philosophers like, like, like the philosophical investigation. 
agency to to do there. So there is some work. There is some work for philosophers to do kind of in industry. Yeah. I think like, uh, you know, eth- other ethics consulting things, medical ethics, bioethics. I mean, ethics things, for, da, 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 I think da, da. ethics kind of makes sense for sure. I feel like if yeah. I went back for a degree, uh, it would be in, I think, I think in ethics and moral philosophy. Mm-hmm. I think um, I the philosophy of identity at one point was very interesting to me that I considered. I'm like, I wonder if I could go back and talk about that. I feel like that's become less interesting to me uh, simply <laughs> because it's been such a dominant force in so much public conversation mm-hmm. related to politics. I, I'm less interested in it now because it feels like it's got it's ground that's been really super duper tread on by people who didn't care about the ground they were going over. But um, yeah. I can if I can digress a second. I want to talk about this. I um my my career, my day job career has been in sales, Mm -hmm. and language is extremely important to comedy. As you, as I'm, you know, as everybody listening is aware that like you know what you say, how you say, it's all in the delivery. That's the whole thing. That's the whole. All jokes are just language. I mean, Mm -hmm. nobody. You can't. I mean, you can do if you're Buster Keaton, you can do funny things without talking, but there is no joke other than things that are written. Yeah. So, you know, physical comedy isn't 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 what makes up most stand up these days anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Not a lot of um, uh, who plays Mr. Bean. Who's that actor? Rowan Atkinson. Not a lot of Rowan Atkinson's. Yeah. yeah, Wandering around on stage, making everybody laugh. Uh, But but hey, who knows? Maybe there's a market niche that could be filled. But (laughs) but anyway, the um, the, I guess that where I'm going with this is having done comedy and philosophy. I mean, I had a great uh, philosophy of language professor who, uh, you know, was very rigorous. It was like every time you turned a fucking paper in, it would either be an A or you would fail. It would be E uh-huh. or A. It was just like, and he would ha- he would note down. He'd be he'd like circle a word and he'd be like this term you defined earlier and then changed the shifting, like had a shifted meaning. Uh No longer, I'm sorry, I can no longer approve this paper or fail. And I'm like, Jesus, like you Uh never knew. It was terrifying. You like turn in a paper and have no idea how you were going to do on it. That is terrifying. Oh my God, it was awful. And I was like a very, I was very interested in the continental tradition. So I was Uh like, you know, big sprawling flowery ideas I don't quite have to define. And then he was like, (laughs) WVO Quine and define your terms and Bertrand Russell and like uh-huh. it just was driving it just, just was awful I fucking love he was great Mike Jones he retired uh my senior year of college and it, it was it was sad to see him go because he was just such a great professor but um anyway I I after that type of education going into the corporate sales world yeah. like yeah. people would would talk about you know, what terms are we going to use? Are we a platform or are we really more like I, I, wor- I worked for a company that refused to call themselves an agency that they were just like, we're not an agency. We're a we're a mobile first platform that offers boutique uh, s- account management and creative uh, services. Yeah. And I'm like, I just put a fucking pistol in my mouth. Like this is this <laughs> the most you're yeah. just what it doesn't matter. Like whatever these these words are, you know, like whatever yeah. the mental picture that somebody gets in their mind, it doesn't matter how we talk about ourselves. And it, uh, just that language would just drive me nuts so often. And and it, like you were saying, world word salad. I need to talk about this on stage more because it's just you know we're a we're a mobile first. You know, it just we're here to change the way you think about an Apache environment with for. Oh, my God. Uh (laughs) And well, I think sometimes sometimes it's the problem is that or the problem that these people who are sort of trying to describe 
their businesses in flattering terms is that the actual service that they provide might be really fucking boring. I mean, oh, it's, it's just it's like, just so yeah, bo- like, yeah, it's like, oh, we like, you know, translate things from one programming language into another or something. But you but you but if you just describe that very literally and accurately, then it's like, well, mm, that's that's kind of lame yeah (laughs) yeah, but you know what um, that's let's just call it a spade a spade most corporations and most things that people do are lame like mm -hmm. most nobody is it's hard to get excited about a content management system like Mm -hmm. and and just can we uh, there's something about i have such a low barometer for this kind of bullshit it's amazing that i've even had as much success in the corporate world as i've had Uh and because i'm like i just can't I, I I have such a a, a a low barometer for it. Like I just can't deal with people being like, no, it's an exciting like we're gonna change the way you interact with real time created and managed JPEG files. And you're like, I just I, I, this sounds so stupid. Like I can't get excited about this. Uh-huh. You know? But and, I, I for what it's worth, I think you're probably uh, not the only person who feels that way, right? It's it's partly because of your philosophical training, but partly because you know people know when somebody is bullshitting with them yeah and so like i think that's that's you know when people talk about them uh you know this isn't the only or necessarily the best way to advertise a philosophy major to undergrads or whatever but like when people talk about the the you know portable skills that you get from studying philosophy i think this is one of those things that like people actually want to be clear with each other at least sometimes <laughs> they want to they want to be able to uh, uh, express themselves accurately and precisely in prose and they want to be able to reason with each other about uh things that you can't necessarily reason about quantitatively mm-hmm. and so like that's that's uh that's something that's something that you get from philosophy and so even if even if the kind of the the prevailing rhetoric in the business world is like opposed to those values those are values that i think a lot of people actually Actually have have. yeah yeah and i think that there's a thirst for those kinds of things and i think that that part of the reason that the podcasting space has been so successful in terms of long-form conversation is because people don't have those they don't have it Mm -hmm. in their lives there's a real missing out of that kind of thing and of any kind of real connection that they have with other people uh, and I think that's part of the reason why is that there's like an examination. If you were to sit with someone for a long time, you'd call them on their bullshit or you'd question mm-hmm. them on things or there. And, and that would be a normal part of conversation that just doesn't occur anymore. Yeah. So, so let's get to the, uh, you know, basically you hanging out in a suburban station. It looked like in was this in is this in more than one place like how many places have you done this so yeah so can i just kind of begin at the beginning with the ask philosopher booth and how how it how it works and everything you may not just start (laughs) go ahead man. Uh, oh fuck um (laughs) well let me start halfway through um the uh so if you could start us in a chase scene that would be a great way (laughs) yeah 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 right it's yeah it begins in that uh the scene in the french connection or whatever um (laughs) Um, like we set up a table with a little banner or some sign that says ask philosopher in a public space. It could be anywhere where there's like enough 
foot traffic and enough people who might have a minute or two to talk. So we've set them up in farmers markets, in transit hubs, in um, uh, like at pride parades, at block parties, and so on. And uh, we set out like a little bowl with philosophical questions printed on them. You know, questions like uh, who do you trust or uh, can the news be objective or what was the happiest day of your life? And then questions or some slips of paper with like thought experiments printed out on them. Yeah. Like, um, uh, yeah, if like you, Zeno's, if you have, how do you reach an object if you have to continuously half your distance to it? Uh huh. Yeah. Or like, um, uh, uh, one which has started a lot of good conversations is like, suppose that there's a, there's a flute and three kids, uh, have to decide who gets to use it. One kid is, uh, uh, a flute player and would be excellent at playing this flute. One kid has no toys and the other kid uh, made the flute. So like, Whoa. how do you decide? How do you decide? That's a political uh, question. Uh, uh, yeah, right. Exactly. It's a question about uh, it's it ultimately it's a question about different types of claims people can have on property sure. and, uh, you know how you sort those out. Yep. And uh, and then we set out a bowl of candy, and those those slips of paper are sort <laughs> of there. A bowl of candy, <laughs> and you know which helps. Um, and those slips of paper are sort of there if people don't have a question or something they kind of want to talk about off the top of their heads. But often people come with you know questions and and concerns or sort of things they've been thinking about. Um, that they want to that they want to discuss with us, and so you know, I mean, we've had we've had a lot of conversations over the last few years. We started this in the spring of 2016, and uh, yeah, it's 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 really cool. Almost all of them have been in New York City. The only one that I've ever run outside of New York City was was uh, the one that you read about in uh, in, in Philadelphia. In Philly. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. gotta. I want to do this so bad. This is so. This is so interesting to me. So you. So how did this get started? Like, what was the impetus for 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 doing this? Like, what was the origin of of wanting to start this? I mean, you had talked about doing Night of Philosophy and like sort of the series and stuff, but but this seems like a very particular kind of idea. And to be perfectly honest, it there's a part of it that sounds kind of terrifying because you're <laughs> gonna get people who will wander up and I mean, you're going to get crazy people and people who ask you maybe very serious, deep questions Yeah, that, you know, I mean, like I just find it so interesting because the only consolation and counsel that people typically get for any type of thing, question that they have in their life is either working with a psychologist or a mm -hmm. social worker or a, uh, like a figure. yeah, or a religious figure. And yeah. it's fascinating to me because it makes it actually makes more sense to talk with someone who's had a philosophical education, maybe, I guess, depending on the question. Yeah. Um, because they've, they're not coming from a particular ideology. Mm hmm. So I, so the, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about the origins thing first and then the, and then the, uh, therapist and religious figure thing second. So as far as the origins go, uh, I went to a talk in like January of 2016 uh, by a philosopher uh, named Lynn Terrell, who talked about a similar project that a guy named Lawrence Blum, a philosopher named Lawrence Blum, has done in Boston. It turns out I didn't fully understand what she was talking about. And Blum's kind of project is is pretty different. He just does it with like 
some teenagers who take like a philosophy class that he's involved with. And it's like their end of end of semester, uh, uh, like culminating project is to like hang out in the Boston Commons and like talk with people. Nice. But so that's like a which is very cool, but it's a very different thing than uh, than what we do. So that's where the idea came from initially. I mean, I think part of why it appealed to me is that like I, I had done the speaker series for a couple of years at that point and the speaker series is cool and it's still going on and I like it. Uh, but it's a place where people come to find out what preoccupies professional philosophers. Yep. It's not a place where professional philosophers come to talk with people about what they care about. <laughs> about. And so like, that's what, that's what, that's what the, yeah. the ask a philosopher booth is good for. I mean, and so, and here's, how about this for a segue? So I think when I, when I first started it, I expected people primarily to come with, um, um, personal questions, moral questions, uh, questions, you know, questions about what to do or how to feel about this or that. And, um, you get a lot of those. So you get people with, uh, you know, moral dilemmas or people who are, uh, uh, grieving and they want some help with sort of sorting their feelings out and figuring out what to do with them. Um, but you also get a lot of really, uh, abstract questions, like hmm. purely theoretical questions. Um, you know, we've got, you know, why is there something rather than nothing? Yeah. How do people know Yikes. mathematical truths? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, you know, does thought come before language or vice versa? Can yeah. plants think? So, you know, there, there, so there are all sorts of, there are all sorts of, <laughs> Oh boy. Of what happens after we die? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh but, boy. Since, but although with what happens after we die, right? Like you can understand how there would be some, emotional connection to the question. But often I think the questions that people care about the most are questions which don't have any obvious sort of emotional like valence. Like there's, why is there something rather than nothing is is sort of a a tricky theoretical puzzle. It's not something that is once you solve it, it's going to tell you what to do when you wake up tomorrow, you know? Yeah, you can't so, get an ought from an is from why there's something. I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, yeah, I could see why someone would ask ask that question though. And and kind of, it'd be like, because what's the, the implied, it's almost like the implied question and underneath that is what is the purpose of all of this? Uh-huh. Like, and uh-huh. it, but, but that's what a weird thing to decouple is to be like, yeah, there's no, there, there can be a lot of things and not have a purpose to them. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I, I think that's, I kind of never know what to, what to do with that. Right. Like yeah, it's if kind somebody, of a lot of pressure for you, to be honest. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I, when people ask about the meaning of life, I mean, I have a line on the meaning of life. I have a belief about it and I, you know, have some reasoning underlying it, but, um, but that that sort of basic orientation, which um, I guess I guess psychologists call it the just world hypothesis, mm. that anything that anything that takes place has to have uh, some sort of cosmic justification or has to work out for the best or has to have some sort of uh, uh, yeah. Some function. Kind of, yeah, good. There has to be it has to be working towards some greater yeah. thing. It's yeah. like, it's, you know, that's why, why do bad things happen to good people? I mean, yeah. why, why wouldn't they? So the oldest, <laughs> oldest book in the, in the, what the, uh, the Christian Judeo-Christian tradition is the book of Job. 
which mm-hmm. try, att- attempts to go, here's a, b- a lot of bad things that happen to a good person, and there's no conclusion. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, sometimes it's that's just it. And, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and uh, they, you know, conveniently, uh, the authors of Job just, like, forget that they uh, killed his wife and children in the first act. But uh, Oh, my God, dude. Uh, I, I yeah. talked about that in my – I did a, a show in Edinburgh at the uh, Fringe Festival called uh-huh. Prophet of Doom. And I talked about the 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 first gospel and the book of Job because both of them have like this kind of uh, not that I mean to spin this conversation in this direction. Uh, I guess <laughs> I I only go in this direction because I thought as you were speaking and you were like, yeah, the just world hypothesis. I'm like, I've read way too much uh Lovecraft and <laughs> and played way too much Warhammer 40,000 to think that there's a a fucking good purpose to anything in the, in the universe. It's a co- what is that line from the Star Trek movie that Bone says he's like the space is darkness and si- or is sp- space is terror and 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 death wrapped in darkness and silence. I'm like uh-huh. oh, it's just it's so it's so grim like yeah. and I think yeah, that, that- <laughs> You know, I don't know. I read a, my thesis was semi based on Nietzsche, so I feel like maybe that's why. Uh huh. <laughs> that's Although why I feel I, that way. I mean, I'll, I'll, I, <laughs> yeah. Even although I, I'll say, even if I don't think that uh, everything has a purpose, at least not a purpose of that sort, a purpose that sort of justifies or uh, can make you feel good about its. Uh, existence. I think like, um, I'm sometimes you, I mean, one question, which was, this was like a very like intimate, intimate, great conversation. I had this with this guy, we were setting up at a farmer's market in union square in Manhattan. Yeah. And, uh, a farmer who was, uh, you know, working a couple of stalls down stopped by, by the end of the day, he's like, you know, I've, I'm working, but I, so I got to go back in a minute, but like, um uh like uh why should i care <laughs> and i was like and i was like oh this is great uh like this is a this is a really helpful conversation to have and it's like uh i and the you know the answer i gave him is that y- you don't you don't have a choice i mean if you feel angry or proud or uh embarrassed or uh happy or afraid of this that or the other then you care about it and since uh you're a human being and you don't have any choice whether to feel those things sometimes uh you don't have a choice whether or not to care about things um and you know the question is just can you care about things in a way that's uh consistent that stands up to reflection that sure. you can that you can uh th- that you can live with comfortably and i think that i think that i think that worked for him i think that did something did he say did he say anything back to you <laughs> um i i would have been like well what if buddha's right and i'm just the witness and all of those feelings are not in indications of caring <laughs> i mean well yeah you could yeah if if you do the if you do the thing where you sort of take some although yeah even if you do the thing where uh, thomas nagel talks about this in in a great paper called the absurd where you sort of take a step back and you say well you know i i really care whether uh you know people you know read this thing that i've written or you know come to the show that i'm putting on um but like i i realize that 
it's sort of optional for me to care about those things. I only care about those things because like I'm stuck in this body and this location in space and time and in these social relationships. And if I were in a different body in a different place, I wouldn't give a shit about this stuff. Uh, I think you can, you can, you can always do that. That sort of train of thought is sort of always available to you, but you always have to come back from it too. You just, sure. it's just, it's just impossible to, uh, live in a human body, uh, and, uh, and, and be this constantly de- detached into from everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Be detached from everything. Constantly call into question, uh, uh, your, your own feelings and your own values, uh, or sort of, or sort of, Constantly yeah, it doesn't really seem like a great quality of life to constantly be wandering around and being like, yeah, but actually, if I was someone else, I wouldn't give a shit. I do this. It, this is like it's funny because there's at some level philosophy and psychology, you know, does over overlap. And it's it's funny because here's one of those spaces where I think uh, if I was walking around having to think about that all the time, I don't know that I would be enjoying life very much. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I feel well, like yeah, I, <laughs> it's, I don't think I don't think you would. And I think, you know, sort of an excess of, you know, rumination or self-criticism is, you know, it's pretty obvious that that's that's not like good for people. It doesn't make you a happier or, or better person. Um, although, you know, you it's it's maybe good some of the time to. You know, if you find yourself really, really emotionally invested in something and then you sort of take a step back and you say well you know maybe i don't have a choice uh whether to care about this at all but i can kind of i can kind of uh keep my keep my sort of passions in in check here you know if i find myself really really upset about you know uh some paper being rejected from somewhere or something it's like well yeah, I care about this now, but that's also, but it's also like really doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the great, in the grand scheme of things, yeah. I think I, I try to think about that a lot. I feel like that's a real, like I, a big, you know, I never took any, I had no stoicism uh, mm-hmm. classes or anything that referred to stoicism. Period. Mm-hmm. At uh, in in my college education, and certainly not in high school. And it's amazing because when I picked up the Enchiridion and uh or however you pronounce that book uh by epictetus do you know how to pronounce it just out of curiosity Uh, i bet it's Enchiridion, but i don't know okay got it anyway this is for everybody listening who's a non-philosopher fuck you it's the only time we get to be cool and have one up (laughs) over on you uh obviously i'm kidding um we're total losers we're two two philosophers hey speak speak for yourself man i I make like tens of dollars a year it's uh (laughs) It's uh, uh can I I'm tell you this highly this is, successful person. I have, there's a couple of jokes that I want to repeat to you real quick. One of them is a buddy of mine who just said this last night. He's like, I'm crushing. He's from ten, uh, from uh, uh, Mississippi. And he's like, he's a comedian in Chicago. And he's like, I make, he's like, I'm crushing it doing comedy. I can tell you right now, last year I made over $1.200 doing this. <laughs> like, I love that joke so much. Sorry, Lancey, I had to tell it. Uh, but another one I like to say is, I majored in philosophy and I did it so I could ask really good questions like what's the meaning of life and do you have any change? <laughs> like <laughs> it's just so nobody makes any f- fucking money. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's hard to make it's hard to make money as a professional philosopher, that's certainly true. Although I will say cuz I'm just I'm just to do my little PR bit here that like um the 
the reputation of philosophy majors for not making any money, uh, not to not to say professional philosophers, but philosophy majors is a little bit unearned. So like of um, uh, like the statistic is that like uh, median mid career uh, salaries for philosophy majors are like uh, around what uh, engineers make. So it's like really there's so like philosophers uh, in part because a lot of philosophers go into the a lot of philosophy majors go into the law. Like my dad's a lawyer. He was a philosophy yep. major. I mean, that makes uh, sense. And uh, but also just like people go into sales. People, uh, go, people into go into sales. Yeah. yeah. I they mean, I was I was saying it earlier. Like, I think my philosophy education actually gave me a a whole set, a whole t basket of tools that people in sales and marketing didn't have who, mm -hmm. who majored in communications or in marketing or in theater or whatever they, you know, uh, whatever they wasted their time with in their liberal arts <laughs> education. I feel like I put on my lab coat and I got to dissecting words, God damn it. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> uh -huh. I like that. I like that. <laughs> I definitely, and I mean, I, you know, I just, I've not to, not to brag, but I just, uh, got a job offer for like over six figures in Manhattan. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. And it's, you know, and I'm what 30, I mean, you and I are similar ages. I'm 33. Like I'm not, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I, I guess it's my time. I guess it is the time in life to be fielding things like that if you're going to be, I suppose, but mm -hmm. it kind of feels like, you know, a lot of that was earned on the back of hard mental work that I don't know if I would have been able to I mean the toughest mental lifting to this day I had to do was Mike Jones's fucking philosophy of language uh 430 class and uh -huh. my, my 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 fifth year senior at university like it was a really rough class and I took it while I was double majoring in philosophy and creative writing and that language class and then my narrative environments creative writing class were like I mean, it was insane. I think I took 18 credits of philosophy in one semester once, uh -huh. which I mean, like I Mike, I just remember being in Mike Jones's office and I like couldn't I couldn't even say I think the joke that I wrote at the time when I was doing comedy was like I couldn't utter my name without thinking about the truth conditions. And I <laughs> uh -huh. was just like, what is your name? And I'm like, what is the you you're referring to? Is the name <laughs> of the being? Is it the name of my body? Is the name of which identity are you talking about? Like, uh -huh. It was just it was so nuts. And I, I feel like after that semester specifically, and then after that final year, I remember going out into the world and being like, I just can't like, it's almost like, you know, you're the tools that you have had to develop in order to survive in that kind of intellectual environment. You're like wandering around just outgunning everybody. It's just overkill for everything else you uh -huh. ever need. You ever need yeah. for. <laughs> well, I, I think just trying to be, you know, it to, the skills that you'll get in that in in that kind of philosophy class, at least a philosophy class that is like places a high value on uh, on clarity and precision is just that. Yeah, people people have a hard time. Uh, people have a hard time talking clearly about sort of mushy or value laden stuff. And that's uh, and that's that's a that's a very yeah, that's a very portable skill that you get from a philosophy major. Not to say that it's. Uh, the only or the most valuable thing that you get out of a philosophy major, but it's a, uh, but it's, uh, but it's like, and a uniquely, yeah. you don't really get it from anywhere else. Yeah, no, um, not really. Not really. I just remember thinking this is like using a microscope to try to examine the microscope you're looking through. <laughs> like uh -huh. it's just, it's, it feels like a completely bizarre way to use 
the tool, but it's it's all you know. Nobody else knows how to do any of that shit with a microscope, so I guess uh-huh. I got <laughs> I guess I got one up on them. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. So, are you planning to continue doing this, uh, talking to you know random people and offering some consolation through good question asking to them? Yeah. So we've got. Um, uh... I guess two things I should plug. One uh, is that the Night of Philosophy and Ideas, which happens at a bunch of different locations around the world, I think something like 200, um, but a very big version of that is happening uh, next weekend. I don't know if this is, I don't know if February, if this is going to come out before February 1st, but. Um, I'll, pu- I'll put na- it out next week. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. So there's the Night of Philosophy and of of philosophy and ideas uh at the brooklyn public library on february 1st which is this like yeah it's yeah this coming saturday or you know a week from tomorrow and uh uh it's this like 12 hour overnight marathon it's from 7 p.m till 7 a.m the next morning of like talks and discussions and screenings and performances um it's not all philosophy but a lot of it is and so we have an ask a philosopher booth uh, there. And we have an, a few Ask a Philosopher booths around New York City locations, TBD, but somewhere in the subway system um, uh, uh, the day of. And so we've got a we've got more Ask a Philosopher booths than I've ever organized in a single day coming up uh, coming up on uh, February 1st. So that should be cool. And um, I also just finished a book about the booth. Uh, it's, I think going to be called the title, things are still up in the air, but I think it's going to be called ask a philosopher. And so it's like the, uh, and that's coming out in November from St. Martin's press. Yeah. And how were you able to weave, uh, true crime stories into it? (laughs) Uh, yeah, well, it very conveniently, uh, 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 the question that somebody came to us was, uh, was like a murder mystery. So, Are you kidding? Yeah, um, Are you serious? No, 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 no. I'm fucking with you. Um, oh, okay. I was the, trying to uh, be like, what? Yeah. yeah the, um, yeah, it was, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree, kid. Um, uh, so although, so that's like the best questions from the booth and my attempts to answer them and some little stories and vignettes from like funny or memorable uh, encounters that we had at the booth because we've had a lot of them over the years. Um, so, uh, when that comes out, hopefully, hopefully I'll be able to, what I, my fantasy is that, uh, that comes out and then I, uh, can talk about it in different cities around the United States and every city that I go to, I can like set up a new booth with the local philosophers. And so that would be, uh, really cool. I, maybe I should clarify that I, I, I don't do the booth myself. Like it's like a, it's like a, I wrote the book myself, but I don't do the booth myself. That's a, it's a collective, it's a collective enterprise. You can't like, it's, it would be incredibly fucking awkward. Exhausting and just, yeah, yeah, exhausting, (laughs) exhausting and, and, and awkward to just sit there, uh, next by yourself next to a banner that says, ask a philosopher. It's like a little, a little reads the wrong way. Let me put it that way. Yeah, that's funny. So, uh, this I think this is super freaking cool, man. Uh, this is when are the all the ask the philosopher booths going up? Is that that's also on the first, or is that not on the first? Yeah, so that's all that's all on the first. We'll have a, we'll have several booths uh, the 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 day of. So probably like noon to three at different locations around New York City. If you want to find out more about them, um, you can. Uh, uh, 
follow the uh, Facebook page for Brooklyn Public Philosophers, which is the the sort of organization that I use to, um, yeah, to organize all the public philosophy stuff that I do. Um, so, so yeah, you can you can find out about this, the exact times and locations uh, from the Brooklyn Public Philosophers Facebook page, but it'll probably be uh, like twelve to three in different subway stations around New York City. That is so. That is so cool. Uh, I really want to. We need to talk off off air because I really want to get involved. Um, totally. Uh, because I think this would be so much fun. I really want to. What I want to do is bring. I gotta. I feel like and maybe we can talk about this off air, but it would be so much fun to bring uh, a camera crew and record. You know, an, an, anonymize people's questions, but get the conversation or some answers or something. It would just be so interesting to just yeah document some of that. I've, I've, I've had the, I've, I've, people have suggested that I record this somehow, maybe make a podcast out of it or something in the past. And, um, uh, it would just take, uh, it would take like, um, money that I don't have. So I, you know, I, I couldn't like film the camera and have the conversations at the same time, you know, but, um, uh, but I think, I think it would be good. It would, it would also take some, just a little bit of like, getting release forms signed and getting consent from people. But we did actually have a, uh, like Japanese news crew come by the last booth one time. Yeah. <laughs> there's, um, there's, uh, what's it called? HKA news. Uh, there's like a, uh, like Japanese, uh, public media has an office in New York city and they found out about the booth and they came by and, yeah, I was, I was on, I got the, I, and I got the, um, the tape from the show, like once it aired and it was like re- really, really great. Cause of course I don't understand, uh, anything that's being said other than what the audio from my own speech, because it's all in Japanese. But then like every now and again, it's like, Socrates, philosophy. It's like, cool. Um, oh my um, God. That's so funny. Yeah, I would have, that, that was great. That was fucking sick. I love, I love that. Um, that's I, that's, I that must be a fun clip to watch of yourself every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, it's impossible for me to listen to recordings of my own voice or to see myself on camera because, uh, because it's impossible for everyone, I think. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. That's the only way I can actually orgasm. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry yeah, I said that. It, this has been very professional until now. <laughs> no, no. no. I, I was hoping we would get down to figuring out how to help you masturbate at some point. So that, <laughs> that's um, really what that's really what every episode about this I, is it's about. It's like <laughs> this, this is a kind of elaborate pretext. But yeah, sure. It's kind of an elaborate pretext. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, this has all been preamble to the real talk. <laughs> okay, oh man, that's funny. Uh, well, where can people follow you or uh, follow your stuff? Uh, where can they ultimately get the book? Uh, any of that stuff? So the book will be available in November from St. Martin's Press. And if you want to find out about uh, the uh, my website is just my name at uh, dot com. So I A N as in Nathaniel O L A. S is in Sam, O V is in Victor, Ian Olasov dot com. And uh, but uh, you can find out about sort of ongoing public philosophy things uh, through the Brooklyn Public Philosophers Facebook page, uh, which is, you know, updated somewhat regularly and where you'll find out about Ask Philosopher Booths and the speaker series and uh, whatever other stuff we've got. And certainly the Night of Philosophy, whatever else we've got going on. 
Hell yeah, man. I will link that in the show notes uh, so you can expect uh, five or six people <laughs> to <laughs> great, go over. Great. That's five or six more than I can usually expect. So there you go. I, uh, I'm looking forward to sending this audio over to John Marmish also. Uh, he uh, He's a he's a cool dude. I should connect you guys. He's a, he's a very funny guy. And, yeah, and, definitely. And, and you should, uh, you have a great sense of humor. You should get involved with the APA's uh, uh, f- uh, philosophy of humor uh, group that that's coming together um i really want to do more academic stuff i think Mm -hmm. so this would be a lot of fun to get involved with and ask a philosopher if there's any way to be involved with that i'd love to do it so totally yeah the um yeah we can we can talk about that in more detail i'll say we had an event as far as like philosophy of comedy stuff goes we've had a couple of things um um one of which was really fun was like a conversation between the uh the lucas brothers the comedians oh yeah yeah who are really really funny i I love the lucas brothers yeah great and, new york comics uh-huh and i i think yeah they were they were new i think they're in la now but they but they come to new york often enough and their their uh, netflix special was filmed in brooklyn so yep. um the uh and we did this event where it's just sort of a com- like conversation about uh philosophy and comedy with them and uh the philosopher michael brownstein who's really good mm-hmm. and uh and so I think that's something that's like a that's a very easy format for um, like events that bring philosophers and comedians together to take. Right. It's mm-hmm. just like get some philosophers who have some interest in comedy and some comedians who have some interest in philosophy and have some kind of have some kind of public conversation. That was at the Strand in uh, the bookstore in Manhattan. But, yeah. you know could be anywhere that sounds um, amazing that would have yeah. been so much fun to be and that was, and like yeah so it turned out to be uh you know fun funny enough because the lucas brothers are very funny but also like i i i think i i think i learned quite a bit about the role philosophy does and 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 often more the role that it doesn't play in their comedy um so you know there are a lot of there you know a if people are interested in reading about this stuff, I think the uh, single best resource that I know of is there's a book by the philosopher Noel Carroll uh, just called Humor. And it's like a very short it's I think it's in the Oxford very short introduction series. Oh, so yeah. Like, and that is a great I have read it. It's a fantastic yeah. book, actually. Yeah, Noel Carroll is the real deal. He's like there's a lot of stuff written about humor and 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 uh, kind of philosophy of art and aesthetics um, in general, which is, I think, very dry and very disconnected from, um, like appreciating and understanding, uh, this, the, the subject matter. Yeah. And like, that's something that does help you like appreciate and understand comedy. There's it's also a really funny. It's actually also a funny book to read. Like he does yeah, a great a funny job. Guy. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a funny guy. Yeah. And his, the history of comedy as he lays it out is just fantastic. I mean, the history of the word, he does an etymology of the word, and it's yeah. I won't even I won't even spoil it. You should just go read the book because it's so fu- it's so funny. Just the the mental pictures that he's able to develop talking about where he thinks the word comedy came from based on the sources is just uh-huh. just great. That's so, great. Uh, well, Ian, thank you so much for taking the time, man. I think I'll probably uh, probably give you. We're over time, so I'll give you your time back. But this is fantastic. You're doing a lot of stuff in the world clearly so that's exciting and i'm 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 glad that you're uh fighting the good fight for asking good questions and 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 sounds like you're helping a lot of people so um i'll have to figure out how to get involved but otherwise take care man and uh the madness continues
Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for listening to the Madness Continues podcast. Once again, this is Brendan Lemon. If you liked what you listened to, please take a minute to like, to subscribe, to give us a rating. It really does mean a difference. I say us like there's more than one person doing this. Uh, It's just me, everybody. So every little bit of support you can lend would be really appreciated by me. If you want to share this podcast, it would really, really, really mean a lot to me. I hope you come back. I hope you listen and check out the other podcast I produce, Funny Planet, where we talk to different comedians from all over the world about what they're doing and how they are funny in their own cultures. You can learn a thing or two and you'll have a laugh too. Anyway, take care. Take it easy. We'll see you here next time.